Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call. They'd write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of President Dunning-Kruger to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. And the logical fallacy we're looking at this week is the appeal to ridicule, also known as reductio ad ridiculum, appeal to mockery, and the horse laugh. Yeah, the horse laugh's a weird name yeah, for it, isn't, isn't it? it? But it's that kind of where people just go, <laughs> kind of yeah probably so yeah yeah, there is a a legitimate rhetorical device Mm -hmm. called reductio ad absurdum which is a a genuine way of responding to a ridiculous thing that someone has said by taking what they have said to its logical conclusion yeah uh, which turns out to be ridiculous and if it has a logical conclusion that is ridiculous, then that's fine. That's a totally okay thing to do. It's not a fallacy. An example of that would be when a group of scientists questioned the validity of fMRI machines uh, or rather the extent to which they were being used in psychological research and, and like what you could actually say by doing a scan of someone's brain while asking them questions and showing them pictures and stuff. And they said that there was the machines were giving out far too many false positives and you couldn't make any of the claims that people were actually making and so what they did was they got a dead fish and they put it in the machine and they asked the fish the same questions that they that they ask people when they do the test and showed it the same pictures and it showed kind of brain activity oh right which it (laughs) it shouldn't being a dead fish fish so (laughs) and by doing something as ridiculous as that instead of just trying to make the point that there are too many false positives by showing it's it's actually stupid if you just assume that any result you get out of these machines is gospel and is correct then they they make the point quite effectively yeah better than you could in in many other ways so that's a legitimate rhetorical device mm-hmm. the appeal to ridicule is kind of when you do that but there isn't a logical step between what the person has claimed yeah and where you take it to, the ridiculous right. end of it. So you're just saying that's patently absurd without any kind of, you know, in in the same in the same way that the the reductio ad absurdum. Yeah, or you're taking it to a ridiculous is, place. Yeah, but just their premises the wouldn't it. actually yeah. leave you there. Yeah, wouldn't yeah, get you there. So, yeah, our first example is a couple of tweets from Trump when he had just done a an interview with George Stephanopoulos. And George had asked if he thought that in the upcoming campaign, if he was contacted by a foreign power who offered him help getting re-elected, should he go to the FBI? And in the interview, he was he was like, well, you know, maybe Mm. I'd see what they had to say. And if it seemed bad, I'd go to the FBI. And obviously everyone went, no, you haven't learned anything. (laughs) Yes, you go to the FBI. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. So... In response to his, his his measurement of things that seem bad, yeah, exactly, yeah. objective. <laughs> yeah. So, in response to that, he tweeted, "I meet and talk to foreign governments every day. 
I just met with the Queen of England, UK, the Prince of Wales, the PM of the United Kingdom, the PM of Ireland, the President of France and the President of Poland. We talked about everything. Should I immediately call the FBI about these calls and meetings? How ridiculous. I would never be trusted again. So, yeah, that would be ridiculous. Yeah. If every time you talked to a foreign leader, you had to call the FBI about it. Yeah. But that's not the logical conclusion of saying if a foreign power offers you help and, and like, dirt on your opponent in order yeah. to help you in the yeah. election, then you should go to the FBI. So, so he's just taken one, he's taken one bit uh-huh. uh, and applied the dead fish in the scanner thing. And, um, <laughs> and it's going, well, look, clearly, see, that's an absurd thing to say because this is the result. Well, yeah, but it's not yeah. just the foreign government's bit. It's the foreign governments who offer you dirt on your opponents. You know, that's the the whole bit. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, and yeah, and the answer is yes. If the Queen of England was offering him dirt on an opponent, then yes, he should talk to the FBI about it. That's, yeah. that's right. It's not ridiculous. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Or, or I, I see he misses out of the list of that of the royals, Prince Andrew. So. <laughs> But, you know. Yeah. And when <laughs> when he initially tweeted it, he actually spelt Prince of Wales, uh, W-H-A-L-E-S, Excellent. which was great. But then he deleted that and did the Prince correct spelling. Prince of Wales. So, <laughs> so in our, our second example from Trump, he... Actually, this is from the Rose Garden speech slash campaign rally mm-hmm. that he did last week, which was really quite amazing. It was... It was supposed to be a speech about china and hong kong yeah and it mostly turned into ranting about joe biden right and in that he talked about the plans that biden and the sanders campaign kind of helped biden come up with some stuff for you know ideas to move forward and things like doing the green new deal and stuff like that and trump mocked one of the options mandate net zero carbon emissions for homes offices and all new buildings by 2030 that basically means no windows no nothing it's very hard to do i tell people when they want to go into some of these buildings how are your eyes because they won't be good in five years yeah it doesn't mean no windows (laughs) it it would be ridiculous to to have a system where they said yeah you no more buildings with windows that's not okay but yeah, yeah that's not what net zero emissions means no it, no it means that that you can generate as much energy as you use yeah it's as simple as that and you can do that in buildings with windows <laughs> yeah and actually his point about going into buildings and how your eyes is somewhat exacerbated by his insistence that we use incandescent light bulbs. Yeah, absolutely. Rather than LED low low energy ones, which are a good deal brighter for a lot less electricity. Yeah, yeah. we'll just get the old ones because they make us look good. And yeah, or uh, just yeah. windows with natural light. That's perfectly fine. Yeah, there's, there's you know, it's not it's not impossible to do that by any means. Because <laughs> you know what that means? No windows. <laughs> I just can't believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So those two examples, are, uh, like I was saying, they're, they're taking someone's argument or stance to a, a an illogical conclusion yeah. and making fun of that. But more broadly, it can just be kind of mocking something without trying to make an argument in 
opposition to it. Yep. So if you just don't offer an alternative argument, just but just kind of make fun of, of the argument yeah, that someone yeah. made, yeah. that's kind of a more broad version of, of yeah. this uh, fallacy. But yeah, that speech particularly, I mean, he did it actually quite a few times and he's doing it quite frequently at the moment, yep. just mocking Biden. Because to be honest, he doesn't have a counter argument. No. He doesn't have good arguments on his side. So it's much easier to just mock the arguments that when, come out. Uh, didn't we do that last, last time when he was asked, well, what you, what would you do in, in, you know, in your first, what was, what's your new policy when, if you would got back in and he just talks mm. about having never been to Washington before and now he's the president and he knows everybody. Go, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's clear that yeah, there is no policy <laughs> and, you know, in the latest thing is that they're kind of the White House is sort of kind of going, let's just let him be Trump. It worked last time. Let's just let him Trump his yeah. way back in. And in fact, he just did an interview with Chris Wallace, which was yesterday. So I don't have a clip of it because mm. it, it was kind of I'd already prepared all this stuff. Chris Wallace asked him about the uh, renaming of the army bases, oh, yeah. especially Fort Bragg and places like that. Yeah. And, and he said, well, what are we going to rename them? Al Sharpton? What? No. Maybe name them after an American military hero instead of a Confederate one? Yeah. Like, yeah. Why would Al Sharpton be who you first went to? Yeah, exactly. That's like yeah. the, the name yeah. that you pluck out of the air. Yeah. So. Well, it's not going to be John McCain, yeah. that's for sure. But No. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, it seems to be one of his go-to things at the moment. And... Now is the time, I think, for Mark's British politics. Corner. So uh, our first example actually is a follow-on from last episode's Appeal to Law coming saga. So the bit that we played immediately after the bit we played last time um, comes this bit. And it's, so it's from the 28th of May when the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, is, is on Sky News in the morning uh, being questioned by Kay Burley. And she's talking to him about the track and trace system for um, keeping an eye on who's got coronavirus and who they've been in contact with and that system was supposed to be launched hand in hand with a, a phone app so it'll be the system that the health service would use to get in contact with you to tell you to self-isolate so she pointed out to him that the the, the track and trace bit was being introduced before the app that does that bit was ready and she implied that it's that you're launching it now to distract from the whole Cummings saga. So the man of authenticity and integrity and fine, upstanding politician that he is just literally laughs in her face. You've rushed it forward, haven't you, because you want to take the headlines away from Dominic Cummings, so you brought it forward. It should have been 1st of June when the app is being launched at the same time. But I, I, I committed to getting the system in, in mid-May. Yeah, was, you did. You know, just no, 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 about no, 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 you talked about the app in mid-May. No, okay. You can't accuse me both of rushing it out in mid-May, didn't you, um, <laughs> Health Secretary? And we've still not got that app. You said the app was absolutely essential to this track and trace. You, the app is still not ready until next week, at the earliest, maybe after that, and yet you brought this forward. Um, I suppose many of my viewers will think it's not a laughing matter. Yes, well, I, I, I can't quite work out whether you're telling me that I've gone too slow or too fast. I think we've gone at just I tell right you what, I, I don't think and, my viewers and, know. Um, I think they're as confused as uh, I am. Clarify it for us. Yeah, well, we brought it in at just the right speed. So there he is doing that that horrible forced laugh that chinless yes-men do 
Um, and I refer you to uh, Richard Hammond in Top Gear does this a lot, <laughs> which is to kind of laugh along. And it's one of those horrible forced laughs. And because her question inter- interrupting him, she points something out. He has to hold that laugh. And if you watch the thing, we'll post up the link in the thing um, in the show notes. In the show notes. In the show notes in the thing. Post up the, the link in the show notes. And you could just see his face frozen in that kind of laugh, realizing he's got to do this laugh to cover the five, six, seven seconds in the middle. And he so he laughs it off and says, you can't accuse me both of rushing it and it being delayed. He's not she's not accusing him that at all. She's accusing him of rushing it out to distract from uh, Cummings. And so and he's just releasing releasing a track and trace system which the app is an integral part of before the app's ready yeah you know and so that's what we and the reason you're doing it is to distract from cummings why are you doing that and he says well ah, ha, 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 ha. yeah i don't know whether you're telling me i've delayed it or, or i'm doing it too quickly no neither of those you know you're just, you're just doing it it's incomplete it's finished and said, yeah i get it out by the middle of may this is may 28th Okay, they're not good on numbers, really, the Tories, are they? Example two, ridiculing the opposition is fundamentally the Tory culture under Johnson, a bit like Trump is doing with Biden. So, you know, we haven't got any policies of our own, so what we're going to do is just take the piss out of the opposition and ridicule them. And uh, in this week's Prime Minister's Questions, Keir Starmer says this. This afternoon, Prime Minister, I'm meeting the families of the COVID-19 Bereaved Families for Justice group a group of hundreds of families who've lost loved ones. They will be listening to the Prime Minister's answers today. So what would the Prime Minister like to say to them? Mr Speaker, I join with, I think, every member of the House in mourning the loss of everybody who has died in this this epidemic. And I can assure him and through him uh, the victims and their families uh, we will do absolutely everything we can to protect our country and uh, to stop a second spike. But what he has to decide is whether, whether he wants to back that programme or not. Because one day he says it's safe to go back uh, to school, the next day uh, he's, he's taking the line of the unions, one day, one day they're, they're supporting our economic programme, the next day they're saying our stamp duty cut is an unacceptable bung, one day they're saying they accept the result of the Brexit referendum, the next day, today, uh, they're going to tell their troops to do uh, the exact opposite. He needs to make up his mind uh, which brief he's going to take today. Because at the moment, Mr Speaker, looks he's got more briefs than Calvin Klein. We're getting on, we're getting on, we're getting on with delivering on our agenda for the country, getting this country through this pandemic and taking it forward. So the whole of that thing is just to get to that joke at the expense of Starmer's, you know, based on the... This is, this is kind of Boris's current shtick. Um, it's, so it's a bit like Trump's Sleepy Joe. This is um, Johnson's shtick because Starmer is a trained lawyer. So he keeps saying, you know, my learned friend and your witness and all that kind of stuff. The, the knock-on effect is it makes Boris look like the guilty party, you know, who's, who's <laughs> standing in the dock. Yeah, because mocking someone for being a lawyer... It's quite weird, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's, it's a reasonably good thing to be if you're, yes. you know, in this kind of context. Yeah, exactly. Um. Yeah, so he's just <laughs> he's kind of, he's aiming the whole thing. He's aiming, you know, there's the, 
it just shows you the shallowness of it. So I did edit it slightly for brevity because he repeats to absolutely everything twice. So I just kind of dovetailed those together. But how quickly he goes from, yeah, as with everybody, I'm in the house, I, I mourn the loss of everybody, yeah, most of whom are could have been avoided if you'd done something about it. You're responsible for them, in brackets. And um, there's a nice cutaway to Keir Starmer where he says that. And um, and Starmer is just kind of sitting there, you know, like poker face, like lawyers. And so he's aiming for the Calvin Klein gag. So instead of laying out what they are doing, like he's asked, he said, so, what, you know, what shall I tell them? What is it you're doing? He just said, we're doing absolutely everything we can. Well, you aren't. And... Um, the problem is we don't know what those things are and what Boris is doing is moving swiftly on to make it the opposition's fault for not backing the plans that they've got. You know, it's a bit like QAnon, isn't it? You know, um, stick to the plan. And you think, well, yeah, what is the plan? No, no, just got to yeah, pay <laughs> heed to the plan. And if you don't, you're unpatriotic. He's making their stance illegitimate by saying you should be backing what we're doing. We are working on the agenda, you know, our agenda. He said, yes, but it's perfectly legitimate for the opposition to question the appropriateness of that agenda because, it, you know, it's their agenda, well, it's Cummings' agenda, and it's a really not a very um, helpful and inclusive agenda um, because they're the Tories. And so he's saying... Because you're either with us or against us. And getting people to laugh at Starmer because he's got more briefs than Calvin Klein. You know, admittedly, it's a fairly good joke. But, you know, whether it's appropriate to have that joke. I mean, the the trouble is shoehorning it into that answer. Because mm. going, as you said, from, yes, we share the, you know, tragedy, the mourning of, of all of the people who've died. Yeah. Maybe that wasn't the answer to because he'd obviously you know he'd got that previously written already. Yeah. Oh yeah. To try yeah. and and wanted to use one of his answers to shoehorn that in. Yeah. And to choose that one seems odd. Yeah. To go from yeah a little yes, bit. Yes, we sensitive. stand with yeah. the families of all the people who've died. Yeah. Now, how can I turn this into yes, a joke? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But what you know the question he's got to do is whether he's going to support us or not. Well, no, it isn't. It's not a thing yeah. for the opposition. In fact, the previous question, it's a, it's a good episode this week, the Prime Minister's questions, because Starmer comes back at the end of things and he says, you know, it's perfectly fine for me. I can be for the track and trace system while still point out the failures that your administration um, is currently going through in not implementing it properly. That's, you know, it's perfectly legitimate to do that. It doesn't mean that I'm being unpatriotic or, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's all this um, Brexit rhetoric. It's the, it's, you know, the, and he managed to get in a reference to respect the Brexit referendum. But you think, oh, Jesus, really? Leave it alone. <laughs> so, um, um, and actually, I was looking at Bo Bennett's. Um, the logically fallacious site, and he elegantly describes the counter to this fallacy 
And he could be easily describing Keir Starmer's approach. He says, do your best to maintain your composure when someone commits this fallacy at your expense. Remember, they are the ones that have committed the error in reasoning, tactfully point it out to them. And that's what Starmer does. That, In fact, um, Starmer does have the good grace to crack a smile at the more briefs and Calvin Klein. Um, at that point, you know, it cuts away to him, and he's, but he's, he's, he is the the very picture of composure in the face of Boris's, you know, ball of blonde bluster. In the wild, in the wild, you can see fallacies in the wild. You could go to Eden and be quite elite. Or you could tell the truth of fear to suffer defeats. But if you lie in Parliament, the world's at your feet. Make them laugh, make them laugh, make them laugh. There we go. Make them laugh by Donald O'Connor from uh, Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain. Yeah. Which we featured on Fallacy in the Wild a few episodes ago. As I remember. Exactly, yes. In the Fallacy in the Wild, we like to talk about the Fallacy of the Week from a non-political perspective. And our first example this week comes from British stand-up comedian Dave Gorman, who has a regular feature on his show where he talks about comments under news stories that people have got upset about unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. Like, kind of minor things that people just really get bees in their bonnet about and, and... make comments on the dailymail.com or youtube or whatever and this particular episode was about the new pound coin that they were bringing in to kind of try to combat counterfeiting and in the uk pound coins tend to be used as tokens to free up shopping carts Mm -hmm. at the supermarket so they're all chained together and you put a pound coin in and pull a thing and it releases your your shopping cart so to stop you stealing them basically isn't it yeah yeah absolutely what gorman does is he he does a thing he calls a found poem (laughs) by by basically stringing together lots of the comments that he finds under these news stories and this is one of the comments that he found they might as well just padlock all of the nation's supermarket trolleys together (laughs) and say that's it there's no way of getting trolleys apart anymore which would be a ridiculous thing to say. <laughs> but it's what they might as well be saying. Well, I love the fact that he's got a, he's got a string quartet you know, <laughs> yeah. setting it to music underneath to give it the appropriate seriousness. <laughs> yeah, so it's possible that they thought of the shopping trolley problem when they redesigned the pound coin and thought, you know, maybe they can make it also fit those shopping trolleys or something like that. Yeah. But yes, yeah. the logical conclusion of changing the pound coin isn't they might as well just chain up all the shopping trolleys. You'll never be able to get another shopping trolley. Yeah, so. that a bit. They'll have to just, well, they, they wouldn't even be able to move them, would they? They just, mind you, those guys that move, you know, 30 or 40 of them in one go, yeah, they could easily you know, take yeah. them to the river and just drop them in, couldn't they? <laughs> yeah, because we wouldn't be able to, undo them in order to individually recycle them <laughs> or even to take the things off to replace them with yeah. other ones yeah ones that fit the new pound coin <laughs> yeah, it doesn't yeah. fit the, the old yeah, slot yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the second example is from house and this is an episode which features a tb doctor who works with 
TB in the third world. Mm-hmm. And he has come to House's hospital because he thinks he has contracted TB. And he's kind of in the the room with the other doctors who are trying to diagnose him. And he's being a little bit holier than thou and trying to get them to to contribute to his TB campaign or anti-TB campaign, I suppose, to, to help fight TB in the third world. Because as far as he's concerned, basically, there's always more that you can do. Even if you've already donated, you can give more because it's really important. And, and House has little patience for that kind of thing. Every minute, four people die of TB. Wow. How can you sleep at night? There's people dying in Africa of a disease that we cured over... Yeah, I know. I saw the concert. Seriously. What's the you sleep? Six hours. That means every night you kill 1,440 people. I guess you gotta get some sleep, but come on. If you stayed up another 10 minutes, you could have saved 40 lives. Do you send notes to the families in the morning? That's gonna take at least 10 minutes, so that's another 40 dead, another 40 notes. Why don't you go rack yourself with guilt in your own room? <laughs> I love that he kind of flips it and says, you know, because so four four people die a minute. So therefore, you've killed when you're asleep yeah, and not absolutely. treating them. You've killed 1,440 people. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, House is suggesting that the logical conclusion of four people die every minute and you should be doing everything you can is that you mustn't ever sleep or, mm. or spend any time not saving lives because you're killing people. Yeah. Which isn't the logical no, illusion no. of that. <laughs> no. no. But what you have to do is kind of is just listen to them with composure and then say, yeah, you're the one making the error. But, you know, that, but it's uh-huh. House's show, so he's got yeah. to be the one that actually, he kind of, in a way, takes the moral high ground um, even though the thing is, yeah, uh, almost all of the other characters in the program uh, all think that this doctor is amazing and brilliant and a you know a, a hero for doing all the work he does. And House is the, the one person going, yeah, he's just in it for the fame and and stuff. I don't like him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love that bit where he goes, yeah, I know, I saw the concert, and he kind of go, oh, that's brilliant. He said, I'm going to go at Bob Geldof now. <laughs> <laughs> So good. Yeah, and obviously I couldn't let the appeal to ridicule go past without an example from Chandler. Yeah. So uh, this, <laughs> this, this is, is a clip I from Friends. Think, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is an episode where uh, Rachel is is kind of looking for a new relationship and, and asks Chandler to set her up with someone from his office. Oh, and no one from, like, legal. I don't like guys with boring jobs. Oh, and Ross was like, what, a lion tamer? <laughs> Yeah, it's just... yeah. I mean, it's it's not an unfair point. No. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. this is probably closer to just just ridicule rather than making yeah, yeah. a point, as opposed to actually <laughs> taking it to a logical conclusion. But um, yeah, I mean, if if the if Rachel's argument is essentially she doesn't date people with boring, boring jobs, jobs. Yeah. paleontologist, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, at least you got to you know deal with dinosaurs, not yeah. live yeah. ones, but you know, yeah. I yeah. don't think it's that boring, but no, it's definitely not. No lion tamer. No. Well, I mean, it, it, and also there's a kind of reference there to um, the Monty Python sketch when um, yeah. uh, see, Arthur Putty goes to the careers advisor and um, he says, I'm, I'm just I'm fed up being an accountant, <laughs> a chartered accountant. 
because I don't I want to be well what is it you want to I want to be a lion tamer and he said yeah, well I've actually, got my own chair yeah I've got <laughs> exactly yeah and he's got, yeah but looking at your uh, results of the uh, questionnaire you're perfectly suited to being a chartered accountant and he's, I want to be a lion tamer so we're gonna we're gonna play fake news folks I love the game it's a great game I understand the game as well as anybody as well as anybody Yes, it's time for fake news, the game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real and one I made up, and Mark has to figure out which one is fake news. See, the current score is 23 out of 53, and the fact that you're obviously just covering up that this is only ever about comparing prime numbers is frankly laughable. Yeah, actually the entire role of this game is just to ridicule you, so yeah. that's... That, that. <laughs> It works. It works. Pretty I know. Much. I've just got so used, so used to it. I'm blind to it now. It's that, you know, I can't taste it anymore. It's just a natural state of things. Yeah. But also, the, cause the side issue is we just it's for ridiculing Trump, which isn't. Well, yes. So, I mean, that's the whole point of the podcast, really, isn't it? Um, oh, I guess so. so yeah. We, oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Oh, right. But yeah. we do it in a very logical way, so that's okay. There you it's, go. We don't. We don't. We're just reducing go... him to absurdity. Yes. Rather than, yeah, ridiculing him, ridiculing. except for calling him a cockwomble. Yeah. Every now and again, yeah, we, we ridicule get... just for the sake just of for it. The sake <laughs> of it. <laughs> for which we do get taken to task by our that's true logically inclined audience, which is very good. We enjoy uh-huh. arguing on that <laughs> basis. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So our theme this week is that these mm-hmm. all come from the the Rose Garden campaign oh, speech God. thing. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. which I mean, he just he rambled for like nearly an hour. He it was supposed to be a press conference, and he took about six minutes worth of questions at the end. Oh, what? And the rest did he, of it did he have a script, was, or did he just? Well, what he did, he had got his people to put together a a kind of synopsis of Biden's positions right. manifesto type thing yeah and and so he read that them out point by point yeah. occasionally interjecting and going off on tangents with stuff um and yeah. you know lying obviously about the stuff that he's saying things like they're gonna they want to destroy the suburbs and right i don't know if he claimed that they want to defund the police in that but he definitely did in the, his interview with chris wallace which isn't in his um yeah. which isn't something that biden oh, wants that to do thing yeah um, didn't, didn't he get fact checked on that and then they yeah, and like live at the time. Yeah, Chris yeah. Wallace said, get, no, uh, no Biden doesn't, doesn't want yeah. to do that. Oh. And then and Trump going, said, okay. right, right, let's get the thing, get the get the campaign statement, and then and it they got wasn't it. In there. Sure enough, wasn't it wasn't in there. there. Yeah, yeah, no. brilliant. So, so yeah, this is this is part of his kind of anti-Biden rant and okay. press conference kind of campaign thing. Statement number one. We save tens of thousands of lives, but we actually saved millions of lives by closing, by closing up. We saved millions, potentially millions of lives. Could be a number that we're actually working on, but it could be two to three million lives. So we're at 135,000, which is terrible. One is too much. But we would have had millions of people dead from this curse that came at us, but we did what we had to do. Okay, that's millions, potentially millions. Number that we're actually working on, what does that mean? Okay, right. Okay, uh-huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Next statement yeah. number two. Yeah. When we came here, the cupboard was bare in a medical sense. There were no ventilators, none. And suddenly, everyone needs ventilators. And I'm getting calls from governors. Where are the ventilators? But I did a tremendous job with the Purchasing Act, which nobody even knew existed. But it was a wartime thing. 
I did some deals, and nobody who needed a ventilator didn't get one. It was beautiful. No, there's a strange use, tricky use of double negative there. No, I did some. <laughs> nobody who needed one didn't get one. Nobody who. So everyone who needed one got one. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Couple was better medical <laughs> sense. No ventilator. Okay, everyone suddenly needs ventilator. Suddenly, yeah. Right. <laughs> Okay. okay. Yep. Statement number three. Yep. We have agreements with Honduras, Guatemala, with El Salvador. We have great agreements. Where when Biden and Obama used to bring killers out, they would say, don't bring them back to our country. We don't want them. Well, we have to. We don't want them. They wouldn't take them. Now with us, they take them. Someday I'll tell you why. Someday I'll tell you why. But they take them, and they take them very gladly. Okay. What? <laughs> someday I'll tell you why and that, that what is he t- even talking about okay don't bring them back to our country we don't want them used to bring killers out like got to wheel them out go here go we found another killer bring them back okay <clears throat> right oh dear okay millions numbers one is too much Mm-mm. Okay, that's yeah. See that prevarication around the number. It kind of comes up with a number, and then backtracks. That's very Trump. When we came with a couple of bear, that's another Trump trope, isn't it? Which could be a false flag. Tremendous job. Nobody knew it existed. Wartime thing. Okay, we have agreements. See, that's part of his little stand-up shtick. Where he does different voices. Don't bring them back. We have to. We don't want them. Another thing. Someday I'll tell you why. I'm a little bit of QAnon conspiracy stuff in there as well. Okay. On, okay. I, I think number two is the one that you made up. Come okay. So of the other two, which are you more convinced by? More convinced by number one. The tens of okay. millions of, not a million, 135,000. Yeah. So number one yep. is yep. real. We saved tens of thousands of lives, but we actually saved millions of lives by closing. By closing up, we saved millions, potentially millions of lives. Could be a number that we're actually working on, but it could be two to three million lives. So we're at 135,000, which is terrible. One is too much, but we would have had millions of People dead from this curse that came at us, but we did what we had to do. It goes from ten to thousand now. Tens of thousand doesn't sound big enough. Actually, it's millions, yeah. millions, millions, millions. Yeah. Said, well, yeah, potentially millions because I, I don't know that that's just, just that, that's not true anywhere. But it could be a number we're actually working on. Yeah, we're trying to show that we saved millions because that would be really good. But we're a hundred. Yeah, one is too much. We would have had millions. Yeah. So the the millions figure, which the, I think the highest figure, even at the very beginning, was 2.2 million. Mm. Um, and that was a, a study by, I think it was Imperial College in the UK. And that was based on nobody doing anything, not just yep. the government not doing anything, but citizens right. not washing their hands more yep. or using sanitizer or wearing masks or socially distancing or doing anything. Yeah. Um, and it was based on the idea that 81% of the population would get the virus. 
And even in the Spanish flu, 28%, I think, got mm-hmm. the virus uh, of wow. population yeah. in America. Yeah. So so 81 is was always a, a, Huge. a big number. Huge. And yeah, um, yeah so, so that was like absolute worst case scenario, as bad as it could possibly get. And no one even kind of eat, like acts as if there's anything wrong at all. Yeah. 2.2 million was was the worst. So by not doing nothing at all, they've saved millions of lives. Yeah. So he's kind of saying Arguably. so at one point he's saying yeah, we did we did the right thing by closing up. And then almost yeah. as soon as they were closing up, they were, they reopened without it well, going away. Well, I think what he's what he's talking about, I think, cuz it keep, keeps he keeps claiming that his decision which was the like he was the only one all the experts thought he shouldn't do it but his yeah. decision to close the the borders to china like to to ban travel from china right. which he didn't do he banned um cuz he still allowed american citizens and permanent residents and family members and things like that to come from china yeah. so there wasn't no movement from china to america um but by banning chinese people essentially yeah. Yeah. in in january he that's what he claims was oh, right. you know he did it single-handedly by doing that saved right. millions of lives yeah yeah um with from china yeah okay yeah. well good on him yeah well done you racist creep yeah huh? <laughs> yeah okay so uh you also think the number three is real and number three okay is yeah real no and kind of amazing as well we have agreements with honduras Guatemala, with El Salvador. We have great agreements where when Biden and Obama used to bring killers out, they would say, don't bring them back to our country. We don't want them. Well, we have to. We don't want them. They wouldn't take them. Now with us, they take them. Someday I'll tell you why. Someday I'll tell you why. But they take them, and they take them very gladly. What is he even talking about? (laughs) That bit, but it kind of you can't. It just sticks the epithet "great" on anything. You can't uh-huh. do that. You know, we have be- great beautiful agreements, great agreements, the beautiful agreements. Yeah. You go, but he's managed to kind of invent this entire thing where you can uh, ascribe qualities to things that that are just concepts. So therefore, have no have no quality. It's not like a beautiful a beautiful agreement. It's the greatest thing. Well. And you go, what? Don't bring them back to our country. We don't want them. They bringing them out. What? What? We're on the front of the White House lawn, and they go, we've got a killer. Are they sending them back to Honduras? And Honduras are saying we don't want them. And then we're, we have to send them back. Well, we don't want them. They wouldn't take them. Now they take them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. I've got. Yeah. Someday I'll tell you why. Someday I'll tell you why. <laughs> What, what, yeah. What? I mean, is it, it true? None of it's true. No. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right. Phew. Right. Okay. <laughs> Someday I'll tell you why. Well, you can't tell us why because it's not true. Someday I'll. When we make this policy, up, yeah, they do get repatriated. Yeah. Surely. So Already. the the Trump administration does have agreement, new agreements, right? that the Biden and Obama administration didn't have with Guatemala, Honduras and El Salvador. But they relate to asylum seekers, not to criminals that the US is trying to deport. Right. So uh, that's not what he's, you know, that's not the other bit of what he's talking about. Yeah. 
And uh, 2016, when Obama was in, the, none of those three countries were on the list of countries that ICE considered uncooperative in accepting oh, okay. return of citizens from of their citizens from the US. Right. They were they had a list of of countries that wouldn't take back people who yeah. had illegally entered the US, but those three countries weren't, weren't on, on the list. list. So none of that is true. Jesus. So it's <laughs> oh, so oh, and then it's just so not only is it not true that those three countries wouldn't take people back, but he's also shoving in killers in the same way that he yeah. does with, you know, the guy that, you know, accidentally picked up the gun and, and then he, so he was a well-known Mexican killer on the loose uh -huh. in San Francisco going around shooting people on piers. Yeah. What the hell? And it, why isn't that, why does nobody go up to him and go, what you're saying is, is right? <laughs> but now not only will they take the killers back yeah. in those countries, they'll yeah. take them back gladly. Gladly. And he won't he won't tell you why, why? now, but yeah. someday something, he'll tell you why. Something's going when he's made something up. Yeah. Take them back <laughs> gladly. Yeah, we'll have them. Yeah, send them back, we'll yeah. have them. Because actually it's a much safer place here than it is in the US now. So, yeah, we'll gladly take them back. We'll do that. You know, honourable citizen thing. Yeah, for Christ's sake, come back here. It's a lot nicer because the guy in charge here hasn't got strange hair and orange face. So, uh, yeah, the, that means that the number two oh, yeah. ventilators one was, in fact, uh, not something he said during that speech. Um, Could have easily although it said is, it. Yeah. It is very similar to stuff he said in... Like lots and lots of times, well, as he's made claims that they didn't have any ventilators when he took over, and and he's he's claimed that it's you know all thanks to him. He did, he saved the day with all the ventilators. He made great deals with companies yeah. and made them make ventilators. That, as it turns out, is all bollocks too, <laughs> because according to the people in charge of the strategic national stockpile right there were 16,660 ventilators that were immediately available for use yeah. when they started needing them basically oh, yeah. there were actually yeah. 19,000ish wow. when trump took over yeah. but um there's a kind of rolling maintenance program so right. all, all, there's always a few thousand of them that are being maintained and and yeah. not available but yeah. there were yeah. almost 17,000 ventilators that were available Wow. Like in March, when people started needing ventilators. Ah, oh, but didn't um, didn't somebody ask him that question? You know, when who was it? Was it uh, Donald Trump Jr. or or Eric or Kushner who said, um, "Oh, those are that's the Federal yeah, Reserve." Kushner, yeah. yeah, that's yeah, not, those are our ventilators. Yeah, yeah those aren't for the states to use. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah exactly. Because you know we're going to need seventeen thousand ventilators uh -huh. just because you know the air conditioning isn't that good, so we need to just blow them into the top of Trump Tower because you know all that gold yeah. gets a bit warm, gets a bit stifling in there because there's no windows because it's a it's a zero, <laughs> you know it's a, it's a zero energy yeah building so. Yeah. So what what that meant basically was that that they did have a, a fair amount of ventilators. Mm. They had, you know, sixteen thousand ish. Yeah. Um, some states were asking for upwards of kind of thirty thousand ventilators, like New York, but the they didn't give them all of the ventilators that they had. The states ended up having to make private agreements with companies so that they could buy ventilators and import them from overseas and stuff like that. Yeah. So, in fact, the, the federal government only distributed 10, 
8,640 of those 16,000 ventilators during the pandemic. So of the ones they had, right. they distributed about two-thirds of them. What, the, what, what did they do with the rest of them? So none of the ones that came from the Purchasing Act that Trump signed yeah. to get companies to make ventilators went out at all. So now the stockpile has like 24,000 ventilators. So they just, they just put because them now back they've in the warehouse. Made more. Yeah. But so he didn't get any for all of the, his claims that, you know, no one who who needed a ventilator didn't, didn't get, get one. one. That that's cuz the states made their own agreements with private companies and imported them from overseas because they couldn't get them from the federal government even though they had them on hand. And and had available. hired people to make them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's because Kushner needs all the ventilators he can get because he can't breathe on his own. That's, you know, yeah, from day to day, he has to have yeah. one in the car, one in the kitchen. Wow. I mean, they probably will now need to distribute them to places like Arizona and Florida and Texas. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. it's not over yet. Not, no. There's that. <laughs> exactly. There is, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one is too much, but, you know, 24,000 of them. Get them out there. <sighs> yeah. All of which means that you actually won this week, hey! which is good. That's the uh, it's, you're oh, back right. on the winning streak, so uh, that <laughs> gives you twenty four <laughs> out yeah. of fifty four. No prime numbers there. No, this um the uh, the winning streak kind of it kind of trundles along adjacent to me all the time, and every now and then I like hop uh-huh. on it. It's a bit like when you when you're <laughs> walking along you know, the you know in between. Uh, airport terminals those really long ones and then they have that kind of travelator that you just jump on and you do yeah you know 60 yards and then get off again it's a bit like that and then hop off yeah those that's <laughs> running alongside and every now and then i just kind of go oh yeah there's the winning streak <laughs> i've done it as much of a streak like one in the past well one so five. far <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know journey of a thousand miles the beginning of a yeah. yeah each win is the beginning of a new streak exactly look at it that way yes yeah that would remind me never to take you to Las Vegas. <laughs> so it's time for the part of the show that this week at least is called Testing is Not a Logical Fallacy. Except it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the testing isn't. No, yeah. But the way that Trump uses it in his arguments definitely is. Yeah. And uh, this is partly out of a a kind of recommendation that we got through our Facebook group for having another look at some of the statistical fallacies that that Trump employs when he claims that they only have lots of cases because they do so much amazing testing. Yeah, yeah. He tweeted on July 9th, for the one out of a hundredth time, which was supposed to be for the hundredth time, the reason we show so many cases compared to other countries that haven't done nearly as well as we have is that our testing is much bigger and better. We have tested 40 million people. If we did 20 million instead, cases would be half, etc. Not reported. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> obvious. I mean, it goes without saying. Um, it the num- the amount of testing you do you do doesn't affect the number of cases you have. It yeah. only affects the number of cases that you know about yeah um, and and even then the number of cases that you know about um is is related to the amount of testing you have yep. but isn't only because of the amount of testing and also and, and within that there would be doesn't matter how many you test it's the percentage of people that are positive if the percentage 
with that reduced testing, so if you if you only did twenty million, if the percentage of that twenty million was going up, then that's nothing to do with the number of tests. Yeah, because you know no, that's that, the thing. If, yeah, if you if the if if the disease wasn't spreading basically, yeah, and you tested twice as many people, what you would find is is that less of those people that you tested turned out to be positive yeah and that is the exact opposite of what What's, you actually see yeah um especially What's recently happening? especially in in the last couple of months mm. when the kind of the the second spike that it's not a second wave because the first wave it isn't, isn't over, over yet yeah but, yeah but the spike that that has happened um especially in arizona texas and florida those are kind of the, the three states where the spike has been um well started happening first and has been biggest mm. um for between the end of may and the end of june uh in arizona they did do more testing that from from the end of may to the end of june tests were up by 175 percent. so that's a lot more tests but but cases positive coronavirus cases were up 700 percent in yep. arizona between yep. those those that month so that's a lot higher mm. that's not because they're doing more testing yeah um in in Texas tests were up 98% and cases were up 273% and in Florida between the end of May and the end of June tests actually went down by 22% but cases went up 341%. Wow. So I mean you can't even if you're being really really generous you can't claim that that's because of increased testing because testing decreased. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To the opposite of increasing yeah. Yes. So they you did we did fewer tests and the number of cases still went up a, a yeah. good deal. Yeah. It didn't and go down by the same time. It went up a lot. Yeah. This is one of those things which is common to a lot of logical fallacies, which and, and which is why they're successful at convincing people of stuff. Is that at first glance, if you don't look into it, if you don't think much about it, it kind of makes sense. Mm. Which is why he keeps saying it. Yeah. It yes, of course. If you only test, you know, two hundred people, you're going to get a lot less positive cases yep. than if you test forty million people. Yep. That just makes sense. So, trying to kind of fit that in and say, well, we're increasing the amount of testing overall nationwide, and testing is largely going up linearly from about the end of May to to even now. It's kind of on a it's it's variable, but it's going up on a pretty linear fashion. Um, and they are doing more testing than they have done before. Mm. But the the positivity rate, and this is nationwide, has gone from 4.4% of those cases, of those tests mm -hmm. coming back positive to 8.2% wow. at the beginning of yep. July. So it's almost doubled. That tells you, especially if you're doing more testing, the great thing about doing more testing is you have a larger sample size. Yeah. So you have a better idea of what the actual rate is in the country. If you only test 200 people in a country of 320 million, you don't know much about that population. Yeah. But when you've tested 40 million, you've got a much better idea of how many people are actually ill or, how, or you know, have a virus. So... Yeah, the more testing they do, the closer you're getting to that real number. He uses the argument in the other way round when it comes to polls of his popularity. You know, he will argue, well, you're not taking a large enough sample size for it to be a realistic mm. result 
or or a result of any significance. So if it if it works with polling, you need to take a larger sample size to get a more realistic number. Then that should apply to testing as well. You know, but it doesn't because yeah. it doesn't suit his his agenda to say that kind of stuff. The the one I really like that in response to his tweet is the is a reductio ad absurdum where it says look for the hundredth time if we had 40 million pregnant women but only administered 20 million pregnancy tests we would half the number of births in our country everyone knows <laughs> yeah. this and yet not reported you know it's which that's a, there you go that's the dead fish in the scanner test isn't it that's the, <laughs> yeah here absolutely. You go. let's just yeah. move that to here's the here's the um you know, the absurd logical conclusion of what you're saying. And we can see the absurdity of that. So therefore, the, you know, it uses exactly the same wording. So absolutely to do it and you say, well, there's that's pure. That's clearly an, an absurd conclusion. So therefore, your um, premise is absurd, too. That's yeah. how that works. And, and, yeah, there was another response that said Trump could cure cancer if doctors would just stop diagnosing it and let the patients die. And there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So if they just died and we didn't test them, we would yeah, we would know that yeah. nobody would have died of cancer. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because we yeah. didn't log what they died of. He's been claiming this since uh, the 5th of June was when he started claiming it. Right. Claimed at least twenty times since then, and and one of the things that that kind of the right wing has been pointing to is saying, look at hospitals, look at deaths, they're not going up, mm-hmm. um, even though cases were going kind of through the roof, and unfortunately that is now becoming not true. Uh-huh. It, yep. it was true for a while, but that's because hospitalizations and deaths lag behind cases. Yeah, because especially when you do more testing, one of the things about the the more testing is that you catch more early cases you catch more more people who are either asymptomatic or have have only just developed symptoms you also catch more young people there's a lot more cases now that are positive cases in in the kind of 30 to 50 mm-hmm. range whereas yeah. a lot of the early ones in in kind of april to may were people in their 50s and above and those younger people are less likely to die from it mm. but unfortunately the death rate and the hospitalization rate is starting to catch up yeah. and in fact from june 7th to july 7th in averaged out over florida arizona and texas the death rates increased by 69 percent wow. in a month so sadly that is that is not holding true and and it's looking like in the other there's like 40 states where the the cases are increasing Mm. there's probably going to be in over the next few weeks increases in the number of deaths there and certainly hospitals some places like miami-dade in florida and places in texas are reporting their icus are at capacity and they just they're sending people elsewhere because they they can't cope they have they're completely full which is what people would said would happen at the beginning. <laughs> and, yep. you know, Tucker Carlson is on Fox saying, oh, you know, they said that ICUs would be full in that capacity and, and they'd have to turn people away and it, that hasn't happened. Well, yeah, it's yeah, happening it now. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Which was actually, that was a fallacy we dealt with before, wasn't it, where you kind of... Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Well, it hasn't, it hasn't happened, so we were quite right in not doing that. But, you know, it's yeah. so... 
Another claim that he has made a few times is that because the US is the best in the world, obviously, at testing, they test far more people than Germany. And therefore, you know, Germany doesn't test nearly as many people. And therefore, they're not showing as many cases. But if they tested, they would have more cases. Mm -hmm. That's not true. (laughs) And one of the ways you can tell that is the fact that the population of Germany is about 83 million, which is roughly a quarter of of the US population. The deaths that they have had up to now in coronavirus is about 9,000. Right. And the US is currently around 140,000 coming up. So a good deal more than four times. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, about 15 times the number of deaths compared to the four times population. So probably they have less cases in Germany. Yeah, proportionally. Yeah, because it is it is not leading to as as many hospitalizations or as many deaths. So it's not the testing that is yeah. causing the difference. Trump's other repeated claim recently has been that the U.S. mortality rate, because it's because of the the deaths lagging behind, the mortality rate of positive cases is uh, just about the best in the world. He says, "Yeah, it's not. <laughs> um, not even just about. Yeah." No, not not even just about. If you're quite generous with the definition of just about, it still doesn't fit because Johns Hopkins have been keeping data on this kind of thing. Yep. Uh, they've been following the, the 20 countries that have been hardest hit by coronavirus. And of those 20, the US has the seventh highest case fatality rate. Lime. So, yeah. Wow. That's not that's not just about the best in the world by any stretch of the no. imagination. Unless you're kind of going, well, yeah, we're aiming to be the highest death rate. Yeah, which in a way... Yeah, we're number one. It's a badge of (laughs) honour. Yeah. Yeah. Uh So when you hear Trump say that they are... Um, there are only lots of cases in the US because they will keep testing and they should slow down testing, like he said in Tulsa, or um, if they didn't test, they wouldn't have as many cases. It ain't true, true. and it hasn't it's not been true. the testing that's doing the killing. No. No. And finally, some things we really don't have time to talk about. Law and order President Trump commuted the sentence of his friend and confidant, the oddly shiny Batman villain Roger Stone, because it doesn't matter if you break the law so long as you were doing it to protect Trump. Despite having been convicted of seven felony charges, including witness tampering and lying to Congress, Stone won't serve a day of the 40 months he was sentenced to after Bill Barr's Justice Department intervened to reduce the originally recommended sentence. Most presidents rely on the office of the pardon attorney to recommend people for clemency, but Trump just picks a name off the long list of his personal acquaintances who were in prison or on their way there. According to the less redacted version of the Mueller report and some remarks made by Stone in the past few weeks, he definitely knows stuff that would be bad for Trump, but I'm sure that had nothing to do with the decision to save him at the last minute. Just when you thought it was safe to go into the newly opened Waterstones bookstores, Mary Trump's, no, me neither, book about her Uncle Don hits the stands. Call me cynical. Two years of studying weird-haired politicians do that to a guy. But does she have an eye on sales dipping after the election defeat? Or maybe she thinks it'll help bring that about. We learned some new things, I guess. One, that Mary Trump is a licensed clinical psychologist. Appeal to authority right there. And that Trump paid someone to sit his SAT test so he'd get into the University of Pennsylvania. Other than that, three-year-old child, yada, yada, nobody loves him, yada, yada. It looks a right riveting read, though, being based on her own memory and in part she's reconstructed some dialogue based on what she was told by some members of the family and others 
as well as legal documents, bank statements, tax returns and other documents. So basically the factual stuff is not what happened or was said because that's all made up from hearsay or, as a clinical psychologist would no doubt point out, from memories somewhat distorted by time and trauma. It's fundamentally misery lit about how the Trump's family destroyed her family and the hell if I let him destroy my country, which raises the questions, A, where have you been? Second, is it not destroyed already? And three, if you think your book's so damn powerful, why didn't you bring it out like on November the 7th, 2016? We're putting it on the pile with John Bolton's book. I've got to say, I'm, I'm a bit surprised how, how negatively you came down on Mary Trump, to be honest, when I put that in the in the headline list. Because, I mean, yeah, I agree fundamentally with what you're saying. <laughs> but but in, if, I, if I were to defend Mary Trump at all, it would be to point out that she did give the, the financial documents to the New York Times, which led them to do that expose on the Trump inheritance issues where Trump's dad did all kinds of, of illegal tax fraud type thing to, to stop them having to pay lots of inheritance tax and things like that. Oh, yeah. So well, she, she hasn't been completely absent of, of helping people to no, expose... That's, well, I'm not saying that she was, yeah. but what well, I'm kind of... It's the bit... Having, having, as we have, gone through Bob Woodward's, you know, um, uh-huh. uh, deep research methods and all that kind of stuff... For her to have, admittedly, to you know, admit she's reconstructed some dialogue based on what she was told by some members yeah. of the family and no, others. I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah, yeah. all that stuff. <laughs> and, you know, and, yeah. It's, and she could have rushed out the book a bit earlier. Yeah, yeah. like November 7th, yeah. 2016. <laughs> exactly. In what seems to be a Guinness World Records attempt on most crimes committed by a presidential administration, Ivanka Trump clearly, proudly and blatantly violated federal ethics laws by posing with a can of Goya beans on Twitter and captioning it with the company's advertising slogan in English and Spanish. And then, because none of this matters anymore, least of all ethics or laws, Trump lined up several Goya products on the fucking Resolute desk and sat behind them with his thumbs up, grinning like a former child star in a used car commercial on a local cable channel. But at least it was in a good cause. Ivanka and Donald making efforts to reach out to the Hispanic Americans. Oh no, wait, it's just because the CEO of Goya said something nice about him and he's a pathetic narcissist. Former child star and huge cock. That's brilliant. It's exactly what he's like. <laughs> and just needed bunting on one of those inflatable long-armed guys that kind of flopped <laughs> Yeah, the out. wavy man. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. In a world hit by a pandemic, data about the number of infections and deaths and recoveries geographically would help local authorities prepare their health services and implement local measures to curb the spread and protect people where they live. Seems reasonable? Nay, absolutely vital. Recently in the UK, Leicester District Council learned too late from National Health England what the actual figures were and people died before they could reimpose a lockdown. So all the figures are now made available to local councils. Why not before? Well, exactly. In the US, the CDC is the natural place to register and compile statistics so state authorities can refer to them and keep informed. Except, of course, when a vain, inadequate bully only sees truth, transparency, bald data, facts and information as a criticism of how well he's tackling the virus outbreak. Spoiler alert, he isn't. 
That's the last thing he wants happening. Therefore, in the US, Trump has ordered hospitals and health authorities not to report their stats to the CDC any longer, but send them direct to the US Department of Health and Human Services. Yes, the administration, who will, of course, tell everyone everything, warts and all, to keep them safe, just like Stalin did with his five-year plan announcements hailing bumper harvests whilst the farm workers starved because there was nothing growing. In the UK, our vain, inadequate bully is no longer having the government publish the stats daily for much the same reasons. So all is well, every other day at least. It turns out that seven of the nine Supreme Court justices, including Trump appointees Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, don't think the president is above the law, ruling last week that the Manhattan district attorney does have the right to subpoena Trump's tax records. While it may still be possible for Trump's lawyers to run out the clock and delay the release until after November's election, it's looking more and more likely that the accounting firm Mazars could be forced to turn them over by late September. Of course, there's probably nothing dodgy in them. Trump and his lawyers have just spent years and untold amounts of money desperately trying to keep them secret because he doesn't want anyone to feel bad when they find out just how rich and successful he really is. Sure, that's probably it. When the New York Times poll found 67% of registered voters trusted Fauci for accurate information about COVID-19, whilst only 26% trusted Trump, that's got a sting. But since Fauci has been the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases for 36 years, was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by George W. Bush, and USA Today calls him a national treasure, for heaven's sake, what better way to behave, therefore, than to welcome him into every health briefing and seek and implement his learned advice? Nope. Instead, writing an op-ed in response to USA Today, Peter Navarro, the Trump's administration White House trade advisor, wrote that Fauci has been wrong about everything I've interacted with him on. Nice. I think, however, Pete, you're confusing factually correct with, in my opinion, politically inexpedient for me and my boss at the moment. The op in op-ed is short for that. And indeed, USA Today added online that Navarro's piece, quote, did not meet USA Today's fact-checking standards. Several of Navarro's criticisms of Fauci were misleading and lacked context. Yeah, no shit. And now apparently the White House is saying they didn't approve Navarro's piece and he did it without permission. Listen. Over the sound of screeching U-turns on Pennsylvania Avenue, USA Today can clearly be heard announcing that Fauci is an annoying truth bomb that keeps going off in Trump's hardened party of falsehoods and blame-shifting. For a while now, with Florida leading the world in new cases of coronavirus, Ron DeSantis has been the clear frontrunner in the coveted worst-slash-stupidest governor in America competition. But his arch-rival, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, isn't taking it lying down. Up to now, he's only been amazingly bad and stupid, but he's taking the competition to a whole new level by writing an executive order banning cities in Georgia from ordering people to wear masks in public and suing Atlanta to challenge their mask mandate, saying, we will fight to stop these reckless actions and put people over pandemic politics. It's a bold move, and the ball is very much in DeSantis's court. Can he do anything anywhere near as stupid to win back control of the competition? I mean, it is Ron DeSantis, so yeah, probably. I expect next week he'll make people lick that big ball thing at Epcot. (laughs) Breathe on it and polish it. Britpol update. Boris Johnson told the Daily Press Conference the UK can turn the tide in the fight against coronavirus within the next 12 weeks. No, not just now, but on March 19th. Yep, over 12 weeks and another month ago. Canute-like, he's continuing his boy's own adventure obsession playing war and army and now says it'll be over by Christmas. 
It wasn't then, and more than a hundred years later, it won't be now. The same toffs sending working-class oiks to the front line to be cannon fodder whilst disguising it all with patriotic rhetoric. Thank gold Berlin has finally died, or she'd be wheeled out across the rapidly re-locking down region singing, we'll meet again, don't know where, don't know when, I do, indoors again, in about two months' time. Meanwhile, perma-smirk racism czar slash Home Secretary Priti Patel went before the Commons Home Affairs Committee to answer how many people coming into the country have coronavirus, now quarantine restrictions have been lifted. She gave a proportion, 0.5%, so committee chair... Yvette Cooper asked her undersecretary Matthew Rycroft and listen in this clip for the gap where the word no should have been. That still is an assessment of the number of cases in the country. What about the number of cases coming into the country as a proportion of the number of cases arriving at the border? Have you ever had that figure? Mr Rycroft? I think that the, the, num- the number that... Well, I, I have nothing further to add to, to what the Home Secretary and, and the Second Home Secretary have said. Okay. Okay. Um, well, it, it, it is just quite troubling that it seems that none of you are able to explain just an assessment of the number of people likely to be coming into the country with coronavirus. It's almost as if covering asses is the more important task. Still, it's good to know that the government's all over it like a rash, which, of course, is also the latest COVID symptom to be announced. I think I think Matthew Rycroft was going for the kind of Hugh Grant blustery type charming thing there. It was like a, as, as like uh, David Cassidy said while while he was still with the Partridge family. Yeah, um. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But he just kind of went, and it, it cuts to him. You know, it's a it's a breach of what it is. Brilliant. So there's Yvette, He's on Skype or you know whatever Zoom, and so is Pretty Patel. Pretty Patel just added this complete bluster and shoving. Matthew Rycroft under the bus by saying, oh, we well, see, these are the stats that I've got in all the briefings. So she's got, OK, so um, if these are the stats, why is it that you don't have the number? Do you have the number? Have you got the number? And then he should have just gone, no, but there's this gap. <laughs> and she has to kind of say, Mr. Rycroft. Did he try and stay still like his Skype yeah. was <laughs> <laughs> he was hastily changing his username to reconnecting so that he could just kind of switch off the camera and reconnecting would pop up. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't have the presence of mind to do that. But uh, yeah, no, it's God damn it. God. So that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this episode. You can find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com and if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy, our contact details are on the contact page. If you think we've used a fallacy ourselves, let us know. And if you've had a good time, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can support the show at patreon.com slash ftrump. Just like our newest patron, Anders Herzvik. Hi Anders, thanks for joining. And thanks to Anders and also thanks to a very generous upping of her pledge from Lauren said we have hit our Patreon goal to um, force us basically to watch <laughs> why do we put that as a goal that's I, a, I don't know it's kind of like it's not a life goal it's not a goal that's yeah kind of yeah thanks so yeah. <laughs> uh, we will be wa- we will be watching the film Ghosts Can't Do It why did we even with Bo Derek and, and a cameo performance from Donald Trump 
and at some point in the next month yeah. we'll be releasing that for patrons yeah. Yeah. Uh, our, our kind of take on that film and and yeah letting Just you know all about it, it and up how incredibly it. bad it is yeah looking forward to that anyway thanks keep, keep patronising <laughs> us but genuinely thank you for to, to oh, no, those and thank all of our patrons you can connect with us and other listeners in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Fallacious Trump. All music is by the Outbursts and was used with permission. So until next time on Fallacious Trump, we'll leave the last word to the Donald. That's right. Go home to mommy. Bye. Bye. <laughs>